Today on World Footprints, from history to culture, Canada's Quebec region celebrates its francophone roots in unique ways and will immerse you in it. The walled fortifications make Quebec City one of the most romantic and picturesque places to explore by foot. Mark Duchesne of Cicerone Tours shares the heart and soul of the city. Those are the fortifications of Quebec that make Quebec City a unique city. Every August, Quebec City celebrates its connection to France with the new France Festival. The festival's executive director, Melanie Raymond, puts out the welcome mat. New France had its share of ingenious characters and outdoorsman Billy the Adventurer tells the tale of the spruce bark canoe. I built this canoe myself in eight days. Wine and tomatoes may not go together in most people's minds, but in the Charlevoix region in northeastern Quebec, a winery there may redefine the way you think of wine. We compare with grapes, the fruit is bigger. Plus we'll visit a Quebec City monastery turned holistic spa and encounter a wine merchant in New France on World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Later in the hour, for five days every August, Quebec City and the province of Quebec celebrate their connection to France with the New France Festival. The actors and festival goers are dressed in peasant, bourgeois, and royalty costumes, sharing stories, eating, drinking, and playing games in Old Quebec. The festival's executive director, Melanie Raymond shares the essence of one of North America's finest festivals. Billy Ryu, also known as Billy the Adventurer, excites and entertains us as he shows us how the making of a spruce bark canoe made it possible for arrivals to the New World to learn from indigenous people to survive, settle, and build a new life in New France. Wine and tomatoes may not go together in most people's minds, but the Charlevoix region's Domaine de la Vallée du Bras, a unique winery where Omerto, a wine made from tomatoes, may change your concept of wine. But first, the walled fortifications make Quebec City one of the most romantic and picturesque places to explore by foot. Mark Duchesne of Cicerone Tours takes us into the heart and soul of the city. We toured Quebec City in period costumes, as did Mark, who introduced us to what it was like to be an early settler in New France through one of his characters. My name is Roger Lebrun. I arrived here in the 1660s, and I just took benefit of uh, this opportunity that the, uh, the King of France offered me to get a free piece of land here in New France. Uh, you know, back in France, it was almost impossible to achieve that goal. So when it was offered to me and my family, I said, I gotta go. So I left everything I had in France, uh, traveled over here by ship. It was a nightmare, let me tell you that. It took about eight weeks to get across the Atlantic. We almost died there. Uh, but then we arrived here and realized we had not read the small characters on the contract. They gave me a free piece of land. Well, it was full of trees and I had no tools, nothing. I had to feed my family. So we just started to do what we could, you know, just to uh, take out the trees and then plant some seeds that were brought by uh, the uh, Louis Hébert, the first settler in Quebec City, and eventually grow some weight and a few vegetables. And after about two and a half years, you could probably survive on your own. 
Wandering through the streets of Quebec City, the past and present collide as we learn what makes the city so unique. So Quebec City is a city that was established in 1608 by Samuel de Champlain, a Frenchie, who came by three times before he decided to set the first uh, trade post in Quebec City. So now we're starting with the contemporary area, more modern city, but as soon as we're done here, we're going to go across the wall that you see right behind you. Those are the fortifications of Quebec that make Quebec City a unique city in North America. Uh, as I mentioned to some of you, it's the only fortified city north of Mexico nowadays. Now, those walls were built. Uh, the, the French started building those walls, and then the British achieved it. And now Parks Canada is actually doing the... the the renovation of the walls. We're going to see that over there. We're just in front of the Parliament Building, a National Assembly, Quebec, Quebec City being the capital city of the province of Quebec. Now, people always get confused. We get, in English, it's easy. We say Quebec City and uh, Quebec as a province. Now, in French, we say Quebec and Quebec. So how do you know? There's a small details. You know, when you're a real Frenchie, you know. Uh, we say Au Quebec, referring to the province. We say A Quebec, referring to the city. Well, you got to be familiar with French. How's your French, by the way? Standing in the shadow of the magnificent provincial parliament building, the nearby fountain where we rested had a story of its own, a story that connects French and English Quebecers. So we have this uh, beautiful fountain here that's a gift that Quebec City received in 2007, just in time for the 400th anniversary of the city. Uh, you know, it's uh, business owner Peter Simons. You know the Simon's store yet? If, if not, well, you should. Uh, Simon's, the original Simon's, is actually located on the Rue Saint-Jean. This guy is, a, is an English native speaker who, uh, who was born and raised in Quebec City. That represents about 3% of the population, by the way, in Quebec City. So in 2007, he was shopping in France at Antique Store, and he found out. He said, oh, that would look good in wow. Quebec City. Let's buy it for one million bucks and then he shipped it here for another million and then he offered it to the city gift because right here before there was nothing so they set this this round here and uh the city invested another million obviously to set it up here uh you know the uh, it's pretty uh, ecological this thing because the water is actually recycling all the time it's always the same water that comes out and if you look at the light over there, just to the right, there's a little wind detector. So when it's too windy, which is often the case here on top of the Parliament Hill, the sprinklers will kind of fade out a little bit so you don't get sprayed all over. Wandering old Quebec is like being in a fairy tale, as the walled fortifications recognized by UNESCO World Heritage literally take you back in time. It's about the fortifications of Quebec, like I said, this is one of the main elements that brought Quebec City to be uh, uh, a UNESCO official site, you know, so this is a jewel of uh, world common heritage. And so uh, it's mainly because of the walls that are still up. Uh, nowadays, though they were converted, uh, there's no military use. It's just for the cachet, you know, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but in fact, we owe the conservation of those walls that were first erected by the French, achieved by the British, to a British guy uh, when he was uh, asked to demolish all signs of defensive systems, military infrastructures, he kind of uh, didn't listen. 
Uh, he loved the city. He was a very romantic guy, and so he decided to convert them instead and make him a promenade. So today, you can walk on top of the walls and all the way down. You could go all around the old city uh, on top of the walls. And, uh, so, and then you get the view on the modern city, on the old Quebec. It's really beautiful. Starts from the citadel up top over there, and then all the way, then it's a neat street uh, just along the cliff uh, to the lower town. You're listening to World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We're exploring Quebec City with Mark Duchesne of Cicerone Tours. Maintaining the fortifications has been challenging as we learn how to stop at one of the prominent gates. So uh, we have a few gates to access the old Quebec. This is Gate St. Louis. There is only one stone that remains original. And uh, now they're going to, eventually they're going to put it down, but put it back up later on. They want to keep it as the one original piece. Old Quebec has been a backdrop to some of the most important moments in contemporary history. FDR's and Winston Churchill statues stand in the shadow of the walls because of the history they made there. FDR. Didn't even look at the song you knew already, yeah? <laughs> Uh, and this is actually Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain. Why are they here? Well, because they sat down inside the Shadow Frontenac in the uh, 1940s in order to try and find a solution to the Second World War. So it's actually here, apparently, in Quebec City that uh, uh, Churchill uh, brought up this idea of floatable structures to precede the landing in Normandy, France. So uh, this is where the idea came up, and uh, at that time, uh, they literally seized the Shadow Frontenac. They kicked out all uh, guests and all residents, because some people would live there for, uh, back in the time. Uh, not just uh, maids or uh, staff, uh, but also important people that had an apartment there. And they just kicked them out for the duration of this conference, Conference of Quebec. Characters are everywhere during the New France Festival, and we met a founding engineer of Quebec City with a fancy name, who had quite a story to tell. I am uh, Gaspard-Joseph Chausgros de Liri, born in Toulon, uh, in Provence, and I arrived here in Quebec in 1716. Last year was a 300th anniversary. And this year, I'm celebrating my 300th anniversary of marriage with Marie-Renée Legarda de Beauvais. You know, I wrote in my journal that I expected to stay in Quebec a year or two to gain some experience and then get back to Provence as quickly as possible. I assure you, it's much warmer there than here in the winter. But a nice-looking Canadian lady will find him very handsome and she showed me how warm a Canadian lady can be. <laughs> Since I'm a Navy officer, she grappled me and brought me to church in October 1717, just in time to be warm for the winter. That's what an engineer calls a B-Energy central heating system. You have to be two in the same bed, so it works. Uh, but I got her a surprise as quickly as we got married. I, I brought her in the honeymoon in France, but she didn't like the, the crossing. She didn't like her stay there, and she didn't like the trip back. And uh, consequently, we lived there for 38 years together. And I got 10 children, which prove it's very cold in Quebec. <laughs> And one of my daughters will marry the first Canadian-born engineer, Michel Chartier de Lotbinière, who had a grandson 
Sir Henri Gustave Joly de Lotbinière will become Premier of Quebec. He's still today the only Prime Minister of Quebec who is not Catholic. He's still the only Prime Minister of Quebec who is not born in Quebec. He was born in France during the honeymoon of his parents. <laughs> It's a tradition. And, uh, and he is uh, still today the only uh, prime, uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor of British Columbia who was a Francophone. And in between, he, he has been uh, uh, a minister in the federal uh, with uh, Wilfrid Laurier. Making our way to the Place d'Armes, the street plan of Quebec as a European city begins to emerge. So we are now on uh, Square of Arms right here, Place d'Armes, which is where everything started from uh, uh, in terms of a street system. You know, it kind of we can recognize a little bit the European way where you have a square and then it goes in every direction. Except here there's the cliff, so there's no way to go. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but the, those are like St. Louis Street, the street we just walk on was, was traced in 1626 already. So one of the oldest streets in uh, North America. Uh, we also have right behind me, Mr. Champlain, huh? the, the official founder of Quebec City. Or like I said earlier, the one we pretend is Champlain. Can you, can you keep a secret? Yeah? In fact, you know, this building was uh, designed in 1897 and uh, Uh, back then, we had no clue what Champlain actually looked like. So they took this face of some French uh, anonymous farmer there and uh, reproduced it up there. And since then, we just keep pretending this is Champlain. So don't tell, right? <laughs> also, I like to say here, you see the allegoric figures at the bottom of the monument. They don't officially represent the king's daughters, but uh, I like to say so because there's no, unfortunately, no monument proper monument for this heritage there. The king's daughter was actually uh, part of a strategy by the king of France to populate New France and bring some ladies to live and establish and grow a family here. Uh, because like I said, maybe 97-98% of the population back in the 1600s were men. So at one point they said uh, we have to uh, recruit some young girls, you know, that were either um, that either made some trouble and, you know, were kind of in a prison or when the monastery young girls uh, that had no more parents, no more family, they offered them a nice uh, fancy dress, a little bit of money to survive, and then uh, uh, they uh, offered them a one-way trip, all included, to New France. Okay, no return ticket. Uh, when they arrived here, the, four, the first 400 daughters, uh, king's daughters, right? Uh, they, uh, the only thing they had to do was to find a husband within 14 days. Dufferin Terrace stands near the Place de Arms where the city and the river are joined. At one end of the terrace is a famed winter toboggan run that brings out the daredevil in all of us. Now, uh, Boardwalk Dufferin Terrace right here is also an important attraction. We're looking at 2.5 million wanderers around here yearly. And at the end, uh, what you see the structure going up is actually a toboggan slide because Quebec City is also a unique and marvelous winter destination. This is what we focus on as well in promoting tourism. Summer, it's full, like you can see. Winter, there's still room. Skiing, snowshoeing, snowmobiling, uh, you know, ice fishing. Uh, so many activities, huge playground around the city. But this is the oldest attraction in town, apart from the funicular, is this toboggan slide. Uh, you go from the top on old school 
sleds, wood sleds, and then you end up where you see the gazebo on the right hand side. And you speed up to 40 miles an hour. Will you dare? Just below Dufferin Terrace lies Petit Champlain, North America's oldest continuously operating commercial street and Lower Town, where we say goodbye to Mark, but not before we get the lowdown on Lower Town. Petit Champlain Street, ladies and gentlemen, the oldest commercial street in North America. Uh, you know, because when it was under the French, uh, French regime, there was a tavern every other door. Then the British arrived and uh, they said, well, you know, we're going to make it a little bit more organized. You know, it's cultural. So uh, they set up the stores and uh, it became the oldest commercial sector in, uh, in North America, Commercial Street. And uh, today what you find here is mostly from local designers, local artisans. So it's really a great place to shop. This house right here was where I used to live, Louis Juliet, a famous explorer. Uh, actually, who uh, paddled down the Mississippi River all the way down to Louisiana. He lived here, he's even buried right next to the house over there. Yeah. So, uh, and then on the other side, we have the breakneck stairs. Lots of uh, legends uh, about this uh, staircase. You know, back in the time uh, when the British arrived, you know, there weren't, there weren't any, anybody really living in the upper town except from the militaries and the religious communities. Eventually, the richer people started living up there, but uh, the soldiers would still go and get their paycheck once a month up there, and they would use those stairs, you know, that were not very flat, a little bit steep and so on. And then there were some taverns up there as well for the soldiers. So uh, once they had drunk their paycheck, uh, they would come down those stairs and eventually tumble down, break their neck. That's how it got its name. To learn more about Quebec City and the surrounding area, visit QuebecRegion.com. We'll also have a link for that website on this show page at WorldFootprints.com. In this destination spotlight, Monastery des Augustines, the home of the Augustinian Sisters, has found a new mission as a center for holistic healing, health and hospitality in the heart of Quebec City. The conversion of the monastery to our new vocation is that uh, in the early 1990s, they were confronted that the community was declining and they, were, they wanted to st they started a reflection on how to continue on with their heritage here at uh, they uh, decided to give the founding monastery here their collection of four, 40,000 artifacts and archives to the population of Quebec as a legacy. So it, it is very particular because they are still, it's not a legacy after their death, it's while they're, they are still alive. So it took over 25 years to achieve the project as it is right now. There were over 67 studies of, you know, with architects, archaeologists, uh, ex different experts of funding and uh, uh, to that volunteer many years to, uh, to have the, um, the concept as it is. So it's very inspiring to think that the, um, the determination and the leadership of the sisters Okay, to, uh, that they were able to share their vision and generate this uh, engagement of the community. So after a very long restoration process, so when we'll enter, you'll see that you have 
the authentic as well as the contemporary uh, uh, to bring the building up to the modern standard. So now it's been open to the public for two years as of August first, uh, 2015 in the actual concept. So what we propose here is to ensure a, tangible, uh, a longevity of the tangible heritage. It's a 17th century building. We have 40,000 artifacts, like I mentioned, and we have uh, uh, one linear kilometer of archives that are kept here. And also the intangible, the tradition, the knowledge, the know-how of how to take care of the body and the souls. For five days every August, Quebec City and the province celebrate their connection to France with the new France Festival. The actors and festival goers, dressed in peasant and bourgeois costumes, share stories, eat, drink and play games in Old Quebec. The festival's executive director, Melanie Raymond, raises the curtains on one of North America's finest festivals. There are a lot of things to see here. You know, it's, there is a big noise today because there is a, ch a corn cup challenge happening in a few minutes. So a lot of people are here for that today. You have a lot of things to eat, something to drink too. Uh, you can meet many people who uh, will uh, make you learn about what they are doing for a living. So you have um, the Cooper, you have the, um, I don't know, the the, uh, the broom maker, um, you have the, the Marchand Boisson, the, the wine, uh, wine trader. He is amazing. So there are storytellers who make you live the history. It's not an, an history you have to read or to, uh, to listen to someone. It's interactive. So you meet people, you ask questions, they answer you. And there is party all night for five, uh, five days. And we have strong men tomorrow. They are amazing. They are doing a um, challenge with it, which is inspired by Nouvelle France. So, how long has this festival been taking place here in Quebec City? Yeah, we are here uh, in Quebec City with that festival for the 21st uh, anniversary. So, uh, we're in the same sector every year or at least every year nearby the St. Lawrence River. It's the place where everything begins. So, it's not, we don't have to build uh, many decor, uh, um, I don't know, so I'm sorry, venues, yeah, because it's it's amazing. So you have a landscape, you have the river, you have everything which which make you feel the new friends out here. And for the costume, you don't have to do it. It's fun to do it. We have people wants to make picture with us because we wear those those costumes. But if you come here with jeans and t-shirt with your family, that's fine. It's a summer festival too, so you can enjoy the history without wearing those. Uh, um, those outfits. Tell our audience about some of the food, what it reflects. Yes, you know there were no potatoes in the Nouvelle France. We think about the vegetables and potato is a regular and whole vegetable, but it was not there in Nouvelle France. So at Batterie Royale you can meet uh, someone who's taking care of the vegetable garden um, to learn about which vegetables were there in Nouvelle France and you can taste it too. And if you want to enjoy a big special thing, you have to taste the turkey leg, which is 
Did you taste it? I ate the entire turkey leg a few hours ago. I was shocked and amazed that I could eat as much turkey in one sitting. And only by yourself? Yes. I had I had a little bit of help. Not much, but I ate 99% of it on my own. So you know it's 850 grams of meat, eh? That's a lot. So, but you walk a lot while uh, while visiting us, so that's perfect. But barbecue downtown, which is offering the turkey leg, is always popular. You can have corn cob on the barbecue too. You can have many meals with that turkey. So, uh, you can discover. You can discover cheese. You can discover sausage. There is ice cream. There was no ice cream in Nouvelle France, but we're not in Nouvelle France all day long, and it's. It's hot out there, it's summer, we want to have fun, so there is beer, there is wine. You can do party here, or you can come with your family and have fun too. You're listening to World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we're speaking to Melanie Raymond of the New France Festival from the site of the festival in Quebec City. Yeah, there are uh, around 20% of the, the people which are coming here, which are outside of Quebec province. So it's more than 50% which are coming from the uh, out of Quebec City, but 20% comes from, from the USA, from France. There are a lot of people coming from the USA, and that's, for us, that, that's special because it's a francophone festival, but there are a lot of people coming from USA, and we enjoy to meet them. And many of our um, storytellers, but most of them speaks English, so they can have those people on, make the, those people understand what they're trying to say, both in French or English. So even if it's a francophone festival, we we can we can receive and welcome those uh, festival goers coming from USA or otherwise in the world. Melanie, I was very impressed to see uh, a few exhibitions with First Nation people, uh, primarily the Huron uh, First Nation. How important is it to incorporate that history for this festival for the general population? That's the, that's where everything begins. Eh? When when people from France came here 400 years ago, they have been welcomed by them. So they are part of our history. And Huron, when that are still here in Quebec area, you can go to meet them. But it's it, it's it's not only normal. It's necessary to have them here, part of that festival. And people are curious about their costume or. Uh, how they live these days too so they talk about the evolution also so it it started more than 400 ago for them but they are still part of our history today so it's necessary for us to have them in the events like wheel barrel racing and corn cob the corn cob challenge are those traditional events or are those events that were created just for this festival? It has been inspired by Nouvelle France, but they are um, our um, creation just to, to get family come to our festival. It's a summer outside festival. We want to have fun. It's not only an historical uh, festival. It's the art of our festival, but it's not a, a story, um, a pure story conference all day long. There are conference every afternoon. There are historical reconstitution on Place des Canadiens to 
there are many uh, people you can meet what they are doing for a living, but you also uh, want to have fun when you come with your family. And we want people not only for from uh, 60 years old to come here, you know? We want everybody to have fun the way they want to have fun. So there are many different sites. So if you don't like those kind of activities, You're not forced to come here. You can go to Place des Canotiers, to Batterie Royale, to other places and meet the people you want to meet. And we also have storytellers walking the streets around in, in the Petit Champlain area. So even though if you're not part of that festival, you meet them, you can ask questions and it's free. So a lot of the programmation is free too. So that's a big thing. The parade was free. We have three different sites which are free too. So if you want to come only for one hour or two, you can live the history with us. We will continue our exploration of the new France Festival and the Quebec region in a moment. If you want more information on this and future festivals, visit nouvellefrance.qc.ca. That's N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E france.qc.ca. We'll have a link on this show page at worldfootprints.com. Listening to World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Just ahead, exciting and entertaining Billy Ryu, also known as Billy the Adventurer, shows how the making of a spruce bark canoe made it possible for arrivals to the New World to learn from indigenous people in order to survive, settle, and build a life in New France. And later, wine and tomatoes may not go together in most people's minds, but the Charlevoix region's Domaine de la Vallée du Bras a unique winery where Omerto, a wine made from tomatoes, may change your conception of wine. Plus, if you want to travel deeper and uncover more powerful stories about interesting people like Billy the Adventurer in places like Quebec, visit our website, worldfootprints.com. France had its share of ingenious characters, and historian and outdoorsman Billy Rio, also known as Billy the Adventurer, excites and entertains us as he shows us how the making of a spruce bark canoe made it possible for arrivals to the New World to learn from indigenous people to survive, settle, and build a life in New France. Let's meet the energetic Billy in this unique canoe. This kind of canoe there is only four in Canada, like this one, and it's called a spruce bark canoe. So this is very unique. So we are not in a museum here. New Friends Festival, we are not. Fête de la Nouvelle France, no museum. So touch it. Please come <laughs> and touch it and just rub, just rub your hand. And after smell your hand, you'll see you, you smell spruce. You see, it smells very good. The spruce bark must be cut from the tree in springtime as it takes a few days to make it into a canoe. You see, if you walk in the woods, 
and you'll see it. This is yeah. the outside bark. So I built this canoe myself in eight days. And usually the Malisit Abenakis used to build them in two days. So I still have a lot to learn from them. But uh, it was just a great experience. And as you can see, guys, this is the outside out of the tree that I flip it over during May and June. Every bark canoe in New France were removing the we are removing the bark only in May and June. And why is that? It's easier because of the sap. The sap goes out because the leaves, you know, there is some leaves and it needs some sap to get some vitamin. So the sap goes out, go up the tree, and this way there is a lot of sap that make it easier to remove the bark. So this is the spruce bark canoe. Billy protects his spruce bark canoe with a special coating made in part from a fierce wild animal. I remove all the bark in it and everything with the uh, burlap kind of fabric. And after, I've got to put something, a grease, to make it very flexible because the resin gets very, very fragile. It breaks easily if I don't put any grease. What is the grease in you, France, that people were using? even beaver beaver no not really everybody tells me beaver you know what but i'm i'm, I'm giving you another chance and uh, 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 an animal very common in canada no whale bear bear you got it bear, bear. this is authentic very authentic bear grease and guys please smell it and touch it because you won't see it again in your life. This is very, this is very, very. You smell it very carefully. Actually, the bear I got it from a trapper because we still trap bears in Canada. The fat. Actually, you take out, you remove the fat. It doesn't smell. No, you remove the fat, and after, and after you. You just eat it very slowly for several hours. You have to eat it. Yeah, eat it. Like with, with, with a hover for several hours. And after it's good. And this is very good for the hands. Actually, the voyagers, the woodsmen back in the New French era, used to take this and put it on their skin. It's very, very good. There are no special tools to apply the resin and bear grease. But you have to be willing to let your fingers do the work. Yeah, and no, 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 lick your finger because if you don't lick your finger, it, it will stick, stick. <laughs> and you'll, okay. you'll be stick to my canoe. <laughs> okay. And that won't be that won't be too good. Go, go ahead. Oh, so it, yeah. Oh, I see. I see. There we go. There we go. Oh, like good job. Yeah, yeah, and more and more. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna hire you. Yeah. Okay. So, do a good job, guys. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Just right here. Oh, you can put a lot. You can put a lot because this is a big crack here. All right. Next to be fixed. All right. Okay. Yeah, your finger. Oh, you've got to be. Very, oh no, you no no. Stronger like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spread it. Very good. Yeah. 
Right here? Well, oh, well, just there is a crack, so uh, just... Yeah, cracks everywhere. It right. cracks everywhere. Okay. Do you want to mean my canoe is broken? <laughs> <laughs> the wilderness in Quebec is harsh, and the resin keeps the canoes from being damaged. You need, honestly, because I've tried it, and you need a lot of resin because you need a lot of repair. It needs a lot because uh, you hit rocks and you hit uh, branches. Because in Canada, there is a lot of shallow water. Mm. Sometimes shallow water, sometimes it's deep. And you, for traveling, you need a lot of resin, honestly. As thin as a spruce bark is, the canoes have the wherewithal to carry big game. Actually, this kind of canoe holds 300 pounds. I tried it and it works. And uh, back in, uh, in, in the old time, uh, they were carrying they were they were using using it for hunting so moose so you could put uh, uh, half a moose easily in it wow. easily in it wow. easily so yeah it can carry a lot of weight wow. and spruce and birch bark canoe could carry more because sometimes they're bigger sometimes they're wider but this one is just because a spruce canoe usually they're about 12 to 14 feet high. Why is that? Because every bark canoe has one bark. So we're talking about one tree, about 16 feet high with no branches, because branches means a hole in the canoe, which is no good for a canoe. Okay, so this is very important. One straight bark, there is no bark, no layer of barks stick together with glue. No, 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 no. It's just always one bark. If you've ever ridden in a canoe, they can easily flip in rough water. And Billy knows how far to push his bark canoe in the hinterlands waterways. Actually, I got away. <laughs> That's a very good question. It reminds me of some stories. Because I was on the lake in Waconichi. It's called in northern Quebec, in Lake Waconichi. And uh, the waves were about, you know, that big. And honestly, my buddy got very scared. He got very, very scared, and I was just, woohoo, that was cool. But honestly, with big wave, I won't do it. Because I could, I could feel the bark moving underneath myself. Because, the, yeah, because it's very, very flexible. You see, the grain is this way. So it allows me to put ribs on this side. That's it, compared to the other one. It needs to be some little bars that you have to put underneath, because just ribs, the bark will crack. So it's very stronger with birch bark. So you can get on 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 like uh, on, on big waves. No big deal with the birch bark. Not this one. It's temporary. It's just very fragile. That's why actually we didn't find any any uh, any old ones because one summer it was finished and out and yeah. So that's the thing. For more of Billy Ryu's adventures, find him on social media and check out his YouTube channel where he shows how he made a spruce bark canoe. We'll have a link for Billy the Adventurer on this show page at worldfootprints.com. In this destination spotlight, of all the characters found in New France, perhaps none was more revered than the merchant de Busson who imported wines from the old world to the new world to the delight of the noblesse oblige. You need to understand at first, when they arrived here in the colony, uh, well, it's a French colony. The first thing they were looking for was grape. Do we have local grape? Are we able to make our own wine? Uh, well, at first, the good news was yes. 
there was some savage grape here around the area. After tasting a couple of these, they thought they might look like Muska. And they said, well, okay, it's gonna be great. Colony is gonna be able to produce its own wine. Uh, the only problem, once you turn it into wine, doesn't taste good at all. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> So they say, well, maybe if we take that grape and we, well, we plant it, we groom it, maybe it's gonna give better grapes, maybe we're gonna have a better wine out of it. And the answer was still no. <laughs> so, so they said, well, okay, we're gonna take grapes from France, we're gonna bring it here, and we're gonna hope it's gonna do good in the new French soil. The answer was no. <laughs> so at one point, you're resigning yourself and you're pretty much understand this place won't be a wine place. There's only uh, the Jesuit, the Ricola and the Sulpicier, the priests who tried again and again and again and again to be able to produce wine out of it. Well, because you need wine to uh, celebrate the mass. So, so they were really eager to try to make it work. But then again, no. So we looked at most of the people we had coming here. You're gonna have some people from Normandy and in Normandy, they're great on cider. Uh, you know, having your own uh, apple, doing cider, doing Calvados also, the, the hard liquor uh, from the, the cider. But it did not catch up a lot with most of the folks here because, well, population, they would drink pretty much anything with alcohol and anything they could brew themselves. But most of those who would pay for alcohol, well, they would be the noblemen living on top of the hill. They would be the richer people. And, well, they'd grown in France, they got used to have wine on the table, and they had enough money to pay for a barrel of wine coming from the other side, arriving here. So most of the alcohol production we, well, we tried to establish here in Poland didn't have much work because they were really looking to have wine on the table. Wine and tomatoes may not go together on most people's minds, but the Charleroi's region's Domaine de la Vallée du Bras, a unique winery where Omerto, a wine made from tomato, may change your conception of wine. Pascal Miche, whose family introduced him to tomato wine, runs this one-of-a-kind winery with his wife, Stephanie Hott, who tells the story behind Omerto. Tomato wine, of course, it's different than regular wine. Um, there's a story behind the tomato wine, of course. Uh, it's the... And it, it comes from the great-grandfather of my husband in, the, in Belgium in the 1930s. He had too much tomato, so he decided, why not, to make tomato wine? Well, why not? We've been uh, operating uh, now for six years. And uh, now, of course, we have four products, but we started with two. And I have to tell you also, uh, the recipe passed through four generations. And my husband, he had the chance to uh, work a bit with his great-grandfather till the age of 12. And, of course, uh, the great-grandfather uh, passed the passion of the wine to my husband. We could say after 32 years of uh, study, research, uh, he, came up with, uh, he came up with two basic wine. So we have a dry uh, omerto and uh, moelleux. I have to tell you also, the name Omerto is uh, to, uh, well, the name is, the first name, Omer, is the name of the great-grandfather. And toe for tomato, so there's a reason for the name. It, it looks maybe Italian, but, you know, 
When you know the story, you understand. That's true. Hey? <laughs> it's different. So all our products, of course, are completely organic. No sulfites. And they are at 16% volume alcohol. 16%, I'll explain to you why. There's mainly two reasons. Uh, the first reason is because, in I think in North America, uh, below 15%, you have to add sulfites. And since we are organic, we didn't want to add sulfites, so that's why we put it over 50, uh, 15. Sorry. And uh, also, the second reason is that these wine ages very well. If you don't open them, you can keep them for 20 years, if you're patient enough. You know? And once the bottles are open, you can keep it easily uh, four to five weeks. If you have a pump to pump the air, even eight, nine weeks, no problem. But it's better to uh, keep them away from the light and of course uh, in the fridge, preferably. And also we have a field of uh, one hectare and usually per year we uh, have uh, 5,000 plants of uh, heirloom tomatoes. So these tomatoes are from Quebec and um, they, um, they are much more resistant to uh, the climate here, of course, because summer is pretty short here. And we harvest starting uh, mid-August till mid-September. But the last few years, um, with climate change, uh, often uh, September, even October, is very warm. So, you know, from one year to another, well, you know, uh, normally it's uh, end uh, September, maybe sometimes a bit of October. Yes. So we have two basic products, like I said, a dry one and a metal one, pretty much different. So for the, these two, um, at first we tried with 12 varieties of heirloom tomatoes, the first year. Um, and after that, we decided, we, you know, we checked which one were the best, uh, uh, were, uh, growing the best and you know had less problem so we finally had uh, we kept a total of uh, six varieties of heirloom tomatoes and so what we did is we what we do is we um, mix three varieties for the dry and three other varieties for the moelleux and you'll see when you're you're going to taste them uh, there's uh, pretty much difference because this one is very dry and you have also uh, notes a bit of a sake, uh, uh, whiskey or grappa so it's a bit strong especially at the, at the first sip and a bit pepper in your mouth and these, this one is much more floral and fruity so softer uh, and a bit sweeter but so you'll see when you're going to taste and the two others that we uh, made are the main difference is that what we did is we took the dry omerto and we put it in, a, in two barrels of acacia. So this is a wood, so these are the two barrels for the dry. And uh, these barrels comes from, uh, well the wood comes from Australia. And of course they are made in France because this is where the, the, the company uh, Dargo, they do this for so many generations, so, you know, they are the expert. And um, so we leave the dry omerto for two years in the barrel, and it becomes 
Acacia, Omerto Acacia. And this one you'll find it's a semi-dry and you'll find notes a bit of uh, a bit of uh, scotch or even aged cognac. And then with the moelleux, the second uh, product, we decided to take the moelleux and to put it in two barrels again for two years in chestnut cherry. So it's the combination of two woods chestnut and cherry so you have one lot of chestnut i don't know which one it is but anyway one lot of chestnut and one lot of uh, cherry so it's all mixed in the barrel and we leave them for two years again so like i said i forgot to tell you for the two products and barrels you'll find also a bit of a smoky woody taste because of the barrel of course and for this one uh, so we call it of course um, Chestnut, uh, Merto chestnut cherry, and uh, you'll find notes uh, rose petal and also a bit of uh, notes of uh, sherry. You're listening to World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We're speaking to Stephanie Hott of Omerto, the world's first tomato wine. Uh, well, we we started. Yeah, we tried. Of course, we participate, as I t- told you, uh, to uh, several contests. But the thing is, it's very hard to um, to enter the market. Uh, like in the European market, uh, we have someone in Belgium who would like to distribute our product. But the problem is, is that they, with all the taxes and the fees. Uh, they would have that it would be too expensive so we're waiting I know with the CETA the new um, uh, the new uh, you know European uh, Union or whatever uh, it is Uh, so this uh, I guess that this fall or next year we're going to see how it goes and uh, hopefully we'll be able to you know distribute start distributing our product in Europe and uh, but the thing is also it's hard to find a good and we tried also in the US in the United States but it's very hard because you have to have a good broker you have to have a broker and a distributor and we especially if uh, we have a new product so we have to educate the public so we don't need only a um, uh, selling person you know we need really someone who's going to understand and going to be able and is going to and who's going to be really interesting you know sometimes people are afraid because it's a new product they're afraid that it's not going to work or i don't know it's too it's too weird for them you know exotic exactly so so we hope eventually you know we have to be patient i guess what are the properties of tomatoes that make tomatoes conducive for winemaking in the tomato if we compare with grapes the fruit is bigger and also you have much more juice comparing to um to the grapes and because the tomato uh, is mainly 96 percent of the uh, liquid and five percent of solid instead of uh, grapes you have what 60 percent of uh, solid and 40% only of liquid so uh, but the only thing the the only thing is that you have to plant every year and also you need less plant than uh, grapes because grapes you would have to have many fields <laughs> to do all the 
the production that we're doing here. But tomatoes, for one plant, you have what? C'est quoi? Deux à trois livres? Non, combien? Two, three kilos? Three and a half kilos per plant. And grapes, for one plant, one plant I think you have... Uh, non, mais combien pour les raisins? Uh, 700 to 800 grams. It's not kilos. <laughs> so you see, the difference is big. So you don't have to have uh, many fields of tomatoes to uh, produce. With your wines, do you blend them with other varieties of heirloom tomatoes as well as grapes or no, not? Only tomato one. Uh, only tomatoes. And what we do once uh, we harvest, we put them in a freezer because they don't come all at the same time. And what's interesting of putting them in the freezer is that you increase the level of sugar and you have more liquid also. It breaks the molecule and uh, yeah. So it's very interesting for what we're doing. And we don't have to already, you know, after harvest, go fast and do the production. So we can just put it in the freezer and when we're ready, we just start, you know filter and then we bottle and how has the uh, response been to tomato wine well you know people come here because they're curious mm. what what does it gonna ta taste you know it's the first question that does it taste tomato <laughs> like tomato but like what we tell them is that does wine taste like grapes Sometimes yes, but sometimes maybe less, you know? So it's really when you ferment, the, when you take the fruit and you transform it in wine, you go and take the, the aromas, the profound aromas of the fruit. For more on Omerto, visit omerto.com. Look for a link on this show page at worldfootprints.com. where we actually get to walk back in history and experience a little bit of life way back when as we did in Quebec. And one of the cherries on the top for me was to dress in period costumes. I love dressing up as a part of the bourgeois class. Quebec City uh, was a lot of fun and uh, the New France Festival that we were part of uh, really allowed us to do something that we really haven't done before, which is really to become part of the story and part of the backdrop of what was taking place there because the festival itself is really about living history. And as we heard during uh, the show today that you don't really have to know a lot. You just need to come and enjoy and immerse yourself in the experience. And 
it really is a wonderful festival where you learn a lot about culture, you have some food, get drunk, play some games, and just really have a good time in this old world city that uh, really is the most European cities in all of North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and, and it, people went all out for this festival, and I think one of the other things I really appreciated about it was the immersion into history, and I'm referring specifically to the wine merchant we met, who was uh, a real... Mirson de Boisson. Yes, true character. Um, but it was interesting because I know uh, the relationship that the French have with wine and to understand that there were challenges in bringing wine to the New World um, and how they you know, coped in the, uh, in the interim. And also Billy the Adventurer and the canoe that he actually carved and sailed in along the river. And, you know, to see that, a real canoe that he hand-carved from tree bark and then to help him repair it with resin um, was was a lot of fun for me. If you get a chance, uh, he has a wonderful YouTube video where you can actually see him take the bark off of a tree, bend it around some frames, and form this canoe. It, it, it is pretty amazing. And as he said, it takes him eight days to do this thing. And uh, it can typically be done by those who are well-versed uh, in about two days. But it's still a pretty remarkable, ingenious feat of this bark canoe. Our trips also took us uh, northeast of Quebec City to the Charlevoix region, which is known for food and agritourism, and it's really just a special place. And we got introduced to tomato wine, of all things, something that we've never experienced. And Omerto is the world's only tomato wine, and it was a pretty amazing experience to learn about something we think of as a vegetable being a fruit being basically replacing grapes in, in wine. It was it was amazing. Speaking of wine and just another ingenious invention. And surprisingly, the tomato wine was not bitter. It was actually quite sweet. And that surprised me. And I actually enjoyed it. I don't know about you. It was tasty. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I, I must say for my first trip to Quebec, even though I grew up in in Michigan and uh, was in Canada, you know, different regions quite a bit, that was my first time actually to Quebec City and Charlevoix. I really enjoyed it. It was surprising to me just the amount of history in that area. And I really, really enjoyed the uh, the New France Festival and just the, the look back and, um, and how that area came into being. As we close, we'd like to leave you with the words of St. Augustine. Rather appropriate since we visited the Augustinian Sisters Monastery on today's show. The world is a book, and those who do not travel read only one page. Thank you for inviting us into your home to share the joys of our world. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing our next journey with you on World Footprints. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. 
The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list. World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com.